Pastors Rod and, and Josh have been teaching from Proverbs, and Rod is out of town this week. He's with his family in Seattle, and he thought this would be a good time for me to get up and share about myself. Well, talking about myself for half an hour, that'd just be awkward for everybody. So I'd like to go ahead and, and teach from a passage in Proverbs, but maybe I'll reveal a little bit about myself along the way. Um, I tell you that so that you don't think I'm fulfilling some kind of narcissistic fantasy. i just doing what the boss told me to do, right? So, so to begin with, there have been moments in my life that I would say have been in focus, um, salvation being the first one on the list. Uh, that moment when I acknowledged that I was a sinner, that I was going to hell because of my sin, and I acknowledged that Jesus Christ was my Savior, and that He had paid the price for my sin, and I acknowledged that I would forever follow Him. That was a time when my life was in focus, and I focused on Him. Another time was when I decided to get a bachelor's degree in Bible. Now, there's no earthly reason why a 27-year-old would... That's right, it took me nine years to get a four-year degree. Why a 27-year-old would get a bachelor's degree in Bible while working with Conoco. But as I look back, I, I can see that it was God leading me as I focused on Him. He had a plan for my life that I wasn't aware of yet. But as I focused on Him, He led me to that to that degree. Another one is marrying Kimberly. If you don't know Kimberly, she is beautiful, intelligent, laid back. She is this no drama filled woman. And there's no earthly reason why a woman like that would want to marry a selfish, large headed 30 year old. Um, but I thank God for the wisdom um, to take the chance and to step out and ask her to marry me and to be my wife. Um, that was a time that. That could have only have happened if I was focusing on God. Uh, another time was going back to seminary. Uh, there's no earthly reason why a person in the latter half of his career um, would go back to school, um, get a degree in something that didn't even relate to what he was doing uh, at the age of 42. Um, but as I focused on God at that particular point in my life, he started to reveal this plan for me, this plan in ministry that he wanted me to fulfill. So that was a time of focus. And finally, leaving Philip 66 to come on staff here. There is no earthly reason why a person would leave a, a, a corporate job four years before they could cash in on an early retirement. Um, that's not something I would do. I'm, I'm selfish. I've got my own roadmap. But in that moment, I focused on God, and he gave me the courage um, and his wisdom to make that decision and allowed me to come on staff here. Um, that's not a natural part of my life. I can see far more times when I, uh, my life was a little bit out of focus. Um, high school. I went to three different high schools in Oklahoma, Arizona, Ohio, and that, that was four years of focusing on myself um, and seeking the approval of others just so that I could fit in. Um, not focusing on God. I had become a Christian at the age of 14, um, but I was focused on self and not, not him. College. I went to four different colleges during the long nine years. Um, and Ohio, Oklahoma, Colorado, and finally in Georgia. Um, but during most of that time, I was focused on a social life. I was focused on what kind of a job could I get to make me look better and make me have more stuff. Um, my focus was not in the right place. In my career, 
22 years with, with Conoco, Conoco Phillips and Phillips, and I thank God for it. He blessed my family for it. I feel like I served the community. But during most of that time, I was seeking worldly gain. I was seeking promotion, um, again, for the approval of others so that they would notice me uh, so that I could get that pat on the back. I wasn't worried about being obedient to God. So here recently, the past couple of weeks, I read a book uh, titled Focused, conveniently enough, by Daniel Goleman. And his research shows that some stress is due to a lack of focus caused by many distractions that exist in our world today. Um, We have so many distractions around us, technology being one of them. I love technology as much as the next person. It's improved the quality of life. um, It's improved our entertainment. um, But it's also added to addiction and distractions. I don't know if you knew this, but in some Asian countries, it's actually a national health crisis, uh, the addiction to social media and technology. And I'm willing to bet we're, we're not far behind that. Uh, there's many, many people walking around on their phones. They just can't put them down. And it's a distraction. And for believers, it's a distraction for us. Um, instead of focusing on God, we're focusing on self. Um, if you find yourself distracted from God, you're not alone. Each and every day, I'm sure all of us would admit that we get distracted uh, by what's going on around us and even in our own heads, uh, rather than focusing on God. We'll we'll be in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 24 through 28 this morning. Now, chapter 30 was written by this guy referred to as Agur, and it helps to say it with that drawl, Agur. We know very little about Agur, because there's nothing else about him in the Bible. What we do know is that Agur literally means compiler of wise sayings. So it could have been his name, it could have been his title. Um, All we know about him from reading chapter 3 is that he was a humble man and he knew his place before God. And he understood the ways of men. And he saw things in nature, um, in small creatures, that that reminded him of, of, of God and his wisdom. So our passage today is about four of those creatures creations, four of those creatures. Um, and if you haven't already, turn to Proverbs chapter 30, 24 through 28, and we'll have it up here on the screen. But I want to show you that wisdom can help everyone to focus on achieving their needs. So starting in, chapter tw- or in verse 24, four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. And the locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. The lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is in king's palaces. Now, Agur is writing to show that God's creatures can live with wisdom. Um, In spite of their apparent deficiencies, when they focus on God. Um, He offers four observations of proof. Before we get to those observations, I want to take a closer look at 24 as he sets up his observations. Um, So he sets the stage here with two points of context. Uh, Again, verse 24 says, Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. Now here he presents a contrast, uh, something negative and something positive. And he will follow the style throughout these four observations that he has. Um, First, he presents the idea that creatures, uh, the creatures he'll be discussing are somehow inferior. Now it's not that being small is something bad um, or something negative. Uh, but he, it's kind of this connotation that the creatures are not as capable as others. 
but this thought runs contrary to what is in Scripture, doesn't it? God often uses you know, unlikely people for positions of, of leadership and power. Uh, for example, Gideon. Um, God called Gideon to be a judge and to govern Israel uh, before they became a kingdom. But Gideon offered up the excuse that, oh, no, wait a minute, you've got the wrong guy. My family is the least in all the nation, and I am the least in my family. Uh, I really don't think that you can use me because of that. But God disagreed and used, God, uh, used Gideon to lead the army, the Israelite army, over the Midianites. And he did it in a way that made it known to Gideon that it was God doing it and not Gideon. Um, size and numbers don't really matter to God. Uh, we see this also in David, uh, the life of David. Uh, Saul didn't quite fulfill his duties as king, so uh, God sent Samuel to the family of Jesse to find a new king and to anoint a new king. And so when he goes to Bethlehem and he goes to Jesse's family, what does he do? He goes up to the biggest, oldest son and says, oh yeah, you've got to be the one. And God says, no, that's not him. And Samuel goes through this process to the next oldest, to the next oldest, until he gets to the youngest, smallest son. And God said, this is him. This is the boy who would be king. Um, you know, this is man's mistake. God looks at the heart and the quality of the individual, whereas we look at the outside, and we look for what impresses us physically or, or materialistically. Um, but God looks at the heart and the quality of the man. Isn't it a shame that we haven't learned that lesson in over 3,000 years? Um, anyway, it wasn't until the smallest and youngest of Jesse's sons was presented that Samuel found the boy who would be king. Um, it was the same boy that defeated the giant that the entire Israeli army was afraid of. Um, but this was God working according to his way. We see this in the New Testament, in the life of Timothy. I mean, here's a young pastor. Uh, God had appointed him through Paul, yet Paul felt the need to write to him because he understood how people think, and he knew that people would look down upon Timothy because of his age. Um, so he wrote to encourage him and say that that is not what matters. It is God that will work through you to accomplish his will. So all these people succeeded because they focused not on what the world sees, but what on God sees. Um, relying on strength alone, you know, the creatures in today's passages, they wouldn't stand as much of a chance. Um, because these creatures are at a perceived disadvantage, they had to focus on the tasks at hand in order to survive. So this brings us to Edgar's second point here in verse 24, um, and that that's these small, inferior creatures acted wisely. Um, but was this their wisdom? Was it in and of themselves? Or did it come from somewhere else? We learn in Genesis that God is the creator of all. He created everything. And as he created, he created with a purpose. He had an intended reason for, make, for creating. Um, and when we try to operate outside of that created purpose, um, we fail. We don't fulfill our created purpose. And we, don't, we fail to meet our needs. Now, these four creatures live wisely as they focus on meeting their needs. Uh, not their wants, but their needs. God as creator created them with needs. And in order to have these needs met, God as creator provided them with the ability to make wise decisions in meeting those needs. Therefore, I believe that they are living out their own personal, not their own personal wisdom, but the wisdom that can only come from God. Uh, you see, we rely on worldly wisdom when we seek after self. We seek after, after wealth, fame, 
everything that the media presents to us, when we seek after that, we have to do that by our own wisdom and outside of God and outside of that created purpose for us. Um, we get in a good illustration of worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom um, in the story of Pharaoh and Joseph when Pharaoh had the dreams. And Pharaoh's own supposedly wise men could not interpret those dreams even though they were supposed to be skilled in this art. But it was Joseph, led by God and his wisdom, um, he was the one that was able to interpret those dreams for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh even acknowledged that it was the God of Joseph that made this possible. So let's look at Agur's four observations and see what we can apply directly to our lives. Um, as we look at these verses, you will see that each animal presents a contrast of wisdom over weakness um, and worldly significance over strength. So first, let's look at the lowly little ant. Verse 25 says, The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. What we see here is that ants are creatures that focus on preparation. They focus on preparation. We think of ants as these small, annoying, creepy little insects that are just around to annoy us. Um, get into our food, get into our picnic baskets, um, and, and they're, just, they're almost insignificant. We can trample hundreds of them under just one footstep. Um, and we know that they're, they're strong for their size, but this strength isn't enough to fulfill their needs throughout the winter months. Um, they are able to do an incredible amount of work uh, before it is actually needed because God, God enabled them to do so. Uh, ants focus on preparation. They plan to meet their needs for food during the winter months by focusing on the task of gathering food ahead of time during the summer months. Now, my kids kind of do things the opposite way. I have a 13-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old son. They spend their winter months planning out their summer months. You know, if they were to do a, a, a year-long calendar, you'd see nine months of just black, and it would say school in there. That's it. But then three months, they plan out almost daily what they're going to do, what camp they're going to be at, whose house they're going to, what vacation they're going on. Daughter has a calendar in her room with this all filled up. Um, they're looking after their wants, and not so with the ants. They're looking after their needs. Um, you know, so there's, there's several possible lessons from this. It's good to prepare. It's good to prepare for emergencies, maybe plan for college or retirement. Uh, financial planning is good. God expects us to be good stewards of, of the time and the finances that he gives us. But I believe that he's calling us in life to plan for something more certain, uh, something more permanent. I believe that we should focus on God and not self. We should prepare for an eternity that we know to be certain. All too often we are comfortable waiting for the reward of heaven, but in doing so fail to prepare to meet God. Excuse me. <coughs> we fail to prepare to serve him in the coming kingdom. Rather than seek prosperity and priority in heaven, we need to seek to prepare for the return of Christ. That is the future that we should prepare for, one that is certain, one that we know is going to happen. Future here on earth is uncertain, and it's temporary at best. We are here for a few fleeting moments, and then there will be endless ages of eternity. It almost seems foolish to, to focus on the physical body and neglect the soul. Um, isn't it foolish to make no preparation for eternity? The wicked emperor of Rome, Hadrian, 
said something like this when he was dying. He said, no more crown for, my, uh, for this head, no beauty for these eyes, no more music for these ears, and no more food for the stomach of mine. But my soul, oh my soul, what is to become of you? He spent his entire life concentrating on the here and the now and his wealth and prosperity and everything that he had built up around him, that he'd given no time or thought to eternity. The author of Hebrews gives a quick answer. In chapter 9, verse 27, it's written, It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. There is an eternity that we all need to prepare for. It's possible to live this life or um, eat, drink, and marry, that, that philosophy of life. Um, it's possible to spend our lives building bigger barns so that we can stuff them with more stuff. Uh, but God tells us to prepare to meet him. So the wisdom of the ant teaches us that we are to prepare. But Agar moves on from the ant to the rock badger. Uh, verse 26 says, The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. We'll see here that the rock badger is focused on positioning for survival. He's focused on positioning for survival. Um, the author here isn't talking about a rock badger or a badger that we may think of. Uh, we think of these fierce animals that are very territorial and protective. Uh, that type of badger is located throughout the world. But a rock badger is, is similar to what we may call a marmot here in the United States. Um, I think some versions of your Bible may say a hyrax. Um, but if you've ever been to Colorado up into the Rocky Mountain National Park, um, I, ha I had the privilege of going to a Bible school up in Estes Park for a year. We would drive up into the National Park, and there's these cute little furry critters that, as long as you have food for them, you can, you can pet them. They're really docile. Um, over, over in Israel, they have something real similar. That, that here, the, the author is, or um, Agar is referring to it as the rock badger. It's about the size of a rabbit, um, has smaller ears and smaller legs. It looks like an extra-large guinea pig. Um, not really something that strikes fear into in in at least my imagination. Um, they're really docile. Um, they don't have legs for burrowing and digging and hiding. Um, but they do have, have feet that are meant for climbing. And so they can't really protect themselves. They live up in the crags, up in the cliffs, up in the mountains, and up in the caves for protection. Um, they position themselves for survival in order to hide from predators. Um, and the rock badger, because of how it was made by the creator, wisely chooses its home in order to survive. Now, the rock badger isn't the only one in, um, in, the, in the Bible that we read about hiding up in the, in the caves, up in the, the cliffs of the mountains. Um, remember in 1 Samuel that King Saul was jealous of David and he was determined to, to hunt him down and to kill him. So David hid up on the sides of the mountains and he hid in the cave in En Gedi, um, fearing for his life because he knew Saul was out to get him. Um, he talks about this some in the Psalms and as he does, he makes a comparison between the protection he received from the physical rocks and the protection he received from God. In Psalm 18.2, he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And again, in Psalm 61, he says, 
Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Now David wisely hid in the rocks for protection, but he knew it wasn't the rocks that were protecting him. He knew that it was God using those rocks uh, to save him. So how can we apply this simple observation? Well, I think we should focus on God and not self. We have a rock in which we can hide, the Lord God himself. Trusting Jesus doesn't exempt us from life's troubles, but it does offer protection for our soul, will, mind, and emotions. Jesus Christ is our rock. Uh, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Now, like the rock badger, I'm weak and defenseless. But I know that I'm safe and secure when I hide myself in the rock, in the rock of Jesus Christ. It's not bad to be weak. Excuse me. <clears throat> but you have nothing to fear if you take refuge in the rock of ages. So the rock badger teaches us that to position ourselves, to position ourselves in Jesus Christ for protection. He moves on there, from there to the locust, and this serves as Agur's third example. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. The locusts focus on the pack and its advancement. The locusts have this pack mentality. You often hear about this with, with, with dogs banding together, but you see it in the locust as well. Uh, when I think of the locust, I think in those large, creepy, oversized grasshoppers uh, that, that sit up in trees by themselves and make a racket and keep me from taking a nap. Um, you hardly, we don't see a lot of swarms of locusts, but independently, they seem pretty insignificant. I rarely see one alive. I just see the, 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 the husk, the skin they leave behind um, after they've grown out of it. Um, now, the people in Israel were probably real familiar with this illustration. Um, chances are they had seen a swarm. But better yet, they were familiar with the eighth plague that God had sent upon Egypt before he delivered the people um, out of slavery. Um, again, the locust of alone can be insignificant, but when they join forces with others, uh, the resulting swarm can be spectacular. Uh, one swarm in recent, recent years was observed to to cover over a 40 square miles of airspace. Um, and they move together. It's almost like a wave as they react to each other and they respond to each other. Uh, the reference to a king would have also meant something to them. Um, kings were first mentioned in, in the Bible in Genesis 14 um, in reference to the warring kings that kidnapped Lot, um, Abraham's nephew. Um, and the kingdom of Israel um, had been going for a while. During the time of the judges, the, the people cried out to God, and they wanted a king like they saw, it, saw in all of the other nations. And so God gave them Saul and then David and then Solomon, who, who wrote the majority of the Proverbs. Um, so the readers were aware of the implication of what a king was and what it meant. King meant leadership, meant strength, meant direction. So as they read this proverb, um, anyone could understand that it should take a strong leader, a king, to direct the movements of a swarm of locusts. But these creatures acted um, independently from each other, 
but in the same time in union. But how? By acting wisely, by focusing on the pack and its needs. Um, I, I, I don't know a lot of you all, you don't know me, but as an introvert, um, I'm kind of wired to be more task-oriented than relationship-oriented. Um, and there's been a time in my life in the past where I carried this to extremes. I was selfish in my interactions with others because I had fooled myself into believing that I was not meant to be in relationships with other people, that they were just there to fulfill my needs and my wants. But God makes it extremely clear in his word that he created us to be in relationship with him, but also with, with others, with each other. We need each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We depend upon each other for strength, um, and we depend upon each other to operate well as a body, as the body of Christ. We can accomplish so much more for Christ as we bond together, as we swarm together um, in this body that he's created. Um, so the, the, the locust teaches us to know our place within the pack and to cooperate in order to accomplish major tasks. Now, Agar uses the lizard um, in this final example in his passage. Verse 28 says, The lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is in king's palaces. Now, what does that mean? Well, I believe this fourth observation shows us that the lizard was focused on perseverance. He focused on perseverance for survival. Now, there's over 40 different varieties of lizards in Israel, um, even the, 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 the huge monitor lizard. Um, I don't know that you would have seen too many of them creeping around the, the king's palaces, but what was extremely common um, was the gecko. And because of its size and its ability to, to climb walls with its webbed feet that secrete this mucus that helps them to attach, um, the gecko, this, this lizard, could just move on in. Um, I lived in Phoenix for a while during high school, and every once in a while you would see a gecko on the window, and it wasn't until you got really close that you realized he was on the inside of the house. Um, and that was weird from us from Oklahoma, having just moved there, but uh, we got used to it, realized they weren't going to hurt us, and that if you took it outside and threw it in the backyard, he was going to be on your window the next morning, because that was his window, not yours. Um, they, they, the, the point of this passage isn't that they moved into king's palaces, but that they were also there. They could be anywhere. But they, they moved into palaces and, and set up their homes. Um, and who wouldn't want to live in a king's palace? Um, the, the comfort, the security, the, the stature. You know, people probably looked at the king's palace, um, you know, with reverence. And, and they knew that it was a place of power, but it was also a place of luxury. They also looked at it knowing that they would never ever get inside. Um, I doubt that the doors opened up from one to three on Tuesdays and Thursdays for a tour. Um, this was a place of security that nobody could get into, and those that tried were punished severely. Um, so most people wouldn't even try to get inside, um, but where man is hesitant, the, the lizard was fearless to go um, and shows up and makes itself comfortable. The wisdom of the lizard is in its perseverance, its need to find home for protection. And can you blame it for choosing a palace? Um, it almost seems like a, a humorous taunt at um, humans that seek their wants over their needs. Uh, kind of this mocking futility of those who seek their own glory. Uh, yet they come in a distant second to a little old lizard. Uh, 
So where's our focus in our society today? Um, there's not many of us that have a problem getting our needs met. Um, so a lot of our attention doesn't go to that. Our focus goes to our wants and what do we want. And I'm speaking about myself here, so don't, don't think I'm trying to get, give anybody a guilt trip. Uh, this is just coming from my heart. You know, I, I tend to spend my extra income on myself, and, and I, I don't spend a lot of energy looking at how I can meet the needs of others. Um, the, the, the scale is, is kind of balanced imbalance to that, that, that side of selfishness. Um, I, I see this also in, in uh, stories of missions that I've heard. Uh, we, we pray for um, freedom and prosperity of our Cuban friends. You know, the Cuban believers pray that we would experience God and not just talk about him. Uh, we pray for um, people in Africa. We, we, we pray that their physical needs that their food needs and their shelter needs would be met. But they pray for missionaries that they would experience true spiritual joy. Uh, says a little bit about our perspective. Um, so the lizard doesn't build its own home. It has limitations. And, and it moves into to these re- resources that it finds. Um, and what can we learn from this? Well, I learned that we should focus on God and not self. Seeing a pattern here? Um, God will provide the resources to overcome any limitations that you think you may have. Um, We can come up with excuses, um, but God can overcome those limitations, and we see it even in the smallest examples in the Bible. Uh, The lizard teaches us not to let our limitations hold us back, but to persevere and use what resources and abilities we have and strive to find our place. So how can we make all of this apply to life? What applications to life do we have? Now, this set of Proverbs or observations is not exhaustive in its attempt to apply wisdom to life. Um, it does, however, reveal that God can use any of us, no matter what we have, who we are, or what we've done. Uh, we should focus on God and not ourselves. But how? How do we do that? Um, let me just offer up a few suggestions. I mentioned before that I read this book called Focus by Daniel Goleman. Um, After reading the book, he's not a Christian author, writes from a humanist perspective, um, but I found some of his research useful, and and I've taken the liberty to to retool a few of his suggestions. Um, And these are very elementary, very basic, but um, I know it was a good reminder for me. First, begin each day by focusing on God. Um, Get up five minutes earlier. There really is no better time to practice the spiritual disciplines than in the morning before you even start your day. Um, just start with a little prayer, thanking him for the day. Thank him for the opportunity to serve him in that day. Or try Bible study and me- meditating on his word. Ask God to show you just one little thing that you can take with you throughout the day. Uh, Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, said, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And honestly, I can't think of anything outside of Scripture that fits that description. Uh, That leads to the next item. Throughout your day, focus on what is important to God. This is a time, or it's not a time, um, sorry, it's not difficult because Jesus tells us exactly what God wants. 
um, he tells us what he expects and, and what he's uh, created us for. Uh, the disciples asked Jesus, you may remember, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So that tells us what we're supposed to think about, what we're supposed to focus about, focus on throughout the day. Focus on God, focus on others. Um, we're conditioned to think about one other person, and that's ourselves. Um, that's, that's the world's influence on us. But God makes it clear that he wants us to focus on him and focus on others. And finally, at the end of the day, take time to look back over your day and reflect on the direction of your focus. Um, it's meant to be a time for you to come before God and, and be accountable. Um, it's not a time to feel guilty. It's not a time of judgment. Um, but it's a time to just, just think about how you saw God working in your life throughout that day and, and, and to prepare for the next day and to prepare your mind and to maybe think through your routine and see how you can reorganize it just a little bit so that you can think about him more. Um, God has provided wisdom and examples of wisdom and instructions for applying wisdom, but we've got to focus on him. Now, God has used circumstances in my life over the last four years to redirect my focus to him, um, to get my mind off of myself and back onto him. And I'm not perfect. I'm sure there may have been one or ten times over the last four years that I've complained about the, the hard times that I thought I was going through. But looking back now, I can look back with joy and see how God was working in me. I mean, he used my career to prepare me for this very job. Um, and and he, this job that he created for me. So as Ager's observations show, we are able to thrive when we focus on living as God created. When we allow ourselves to be distracted, we're fooled into thinking that we can do it ourselves. But are we surviving as God intends when we do that? I want to leave you with one other, one other quote. Leadership coach Bernard Haynes uh, wrote in a book called Rise Up. He said, a clear vision enables you to keep your eyes fixed on your desired objective. It keeps you from falling victim to distraction that may look good from the outside, but are not the best for your life. Without a focused vision, you will live carelessly and without a sense of purpose. Let God be your purpose. Focus upon him and live according to his wisdom. I'm going to close this in prayer. Um, as always, we'll have a prayer team available if you'd like to come forward for prayer. God bless you. Gracious Lord, I do praise your name, Lord. I, I thank you selfishly for um, helping me this morning. Um, and, and I thank you for your word, um, the simple word uh, that we, we need to remind ourselves daily, and that is to focus on you um, because you are the only supply of the wisdom we need to live life as you've designed. In Jesus' name, amen.